The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. My name is Jacob Goins with you for the next two hours right here on ESPN 106.7. Another gorgeous day here in Auburn, Opelika. Tons to talk about. On the show today, uh, we've got baseball to talk about. We've got some football things to talk about. Uh, looking around uh, the SEC, looking around college football as we are right around the halfway point of the 2023 season. And want to take a look at everything and just kind of look at it from a, a, a wide lens, right? From an overview uh, if you will, and just kind of looking around college football and really looking at the SEC, uh, continuing to talk about Auburn as we move closer and closer to the uh, game this weekend against LSU down in Baton Rouge. have a question that I want to talk to you about today uh, when it comes to the game on Saturday that I think a lot of you are going to have thoughts about. Uh, and so excited to uh, talk about all of that coming up on the show today. We'll also have Daryl Dapperts, Double D. He'll join me later on in the program as he does every Tuesday at 3.30. So he will be joining us on the phone lines and we'll get his thoughts about Auburn football uh, coming out of the Georgia game coming out of the bye week and moving forward towards LSU this weekend. So that'll be later on in hour number two. But folks, we got to start out with what happened in Atlanta last night. The Atlanta Braves, and if you were tuned in here on ESPN 106.7 or if you're watching it on TV, wherever you were taking it in, what a game this was. And I've got the latest Braves today, and I know I've, I played it yesterday, and this is an updated one, a reaction with Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby. They're doing this after every postseason game with the Braves right now, and they just do such a fantastic job. And this was an immediate reaction right after the game last night, so I've got that for you in just a few minutes. But this was a game in Atlanta last night. Through the sixth inning, Braves fans had cashed it in. They were done. I mean, everybody had given up on the Braves because the offense had gone cold once again. The offense had crapped out once again in the postseason and the Phillies jumped on them it was four nothing and Atlanta couldn't get the they couldn't get the bats going the mojo was down the the energy in the stadium was non-existent and there was very very little hope in this baseball game and all of a sudden the Braves turned it on in a magical ending, one of the craziest endings I've ever seen in a postseason game in baseball. It was unbelievable. And the Braves avoided going down 0-2, going to Philly, and they tied it up 1-1. And maybe this is what it took to get the Braves going a little bit. You had homers from Darno, and then you had the late homer from Riley. 
And what a bomb that was. It just kept going and going and going, and it finally carried over the wall. And then the game-ending double play by Michael Harris had a great catch out in the wall on, on right center field. Caught the ball, hit the wall, threw it back in, missed the first cutoff man, second cutoff man's there. Bryce Harper got confused on the base paths, and they pick him off at first for the game-ending double play and the Braves tie up the series. Unbelievable game, and while the postseason continues to go on, these guys are going to talk about it. I want you to hear what they had to say. Ben Taylor, Lindsey Crosby, the updated Braves Today audio. This is from last night, raw reaction to the series being 1-1. We'll let them talk about it. Then we'll talk some football. We'll look around the SEC, look around college football, and later on we're going to talk deep into Auburn with the quarterback situation and Daryl Dapperich on the show as well. So again, this is last night's today's brand new episode of the of the Braves Today podcast with Ben Taylor, Lindsey Crosby, recapping what was a magical night. It took a little bit, but it was a magical night in Atlanta with a five four win over the Phillies. The playoffs are in full effect, and as for you Philly fans that have jumped in on the pod, cope harder. I'm sorry. Luck does play a role both for the Phillies in game one, even for the Braves in game two as the odds were stacked against them. And Lindsey Crosby, I am emotionally spent after this victory in Atlanta. That was the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in the span of like three innings. Absolutely nuts. Just a scenario where Atlanta is getting no hit through five innings and then they turn around and win the game. And it, it's body language, like it's just nothing but body language. This yeah. team looked like they were done after five innings. And all it took was a little bit of luck turning the other way. Ronald Acuna Jr. gets hit by a pitch that broke a little bit too far. He gets on first base. Mm. Ozzy Albies gets a single up the line. And I mean, it's it just it's little things like that. When we when I said on Saturday that the Phillies, like I talked about the luck and everybody in the comments, all the Phillies fans were like, Bryce Harper was lucky to hit a home run. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying every single bounce and decision and everything worked out for the Phillies on Saturday and didn't work for the Braves. And in this game, you saw some of the bounces go Atlanta's way, especially late. And that was the difference. Look at that ninth inning, the very how the game end. Michael Harris makes a leaping catch against the wall for the second out. The throw comes in, gets past Orlando RC is rolling on the ground to the infield. But Austin Riley's there. He barehands it, makes a throw to first base to get the out. It was lucky that Austin Riley was in the position to get it and that he was able to make the play. That's what we're talking about when we talk about luck. Everybody wants to believe that baseball is just who is better, and that's not how it works. You have to have the right bounces. You have to have things work out in your favor. It didn't on Saturday. It didn't early in this game for the Braves, but they got some lucky bounces late and were able to take the victory. So it is a tied series heading to Philadelphia for Wednesday and Thursday. And big question is, can Atlanta uh, – 
go in, go into Citizens Bank Park and win some games. We'll get to that in a second. I know you want to get to some stuff from this game first. Well, I, I, the first thing I want to get to is you and I have said before, we've got to get production out of the catching spot. And that's exactly what Darno did. You sent a surprising stat that I did not know about postseason Darno. Apparently, uh, if I had saw that stat ahead of time, I'd have said that we never should have started Murphy in the first place. Uh, however, uh, we did. And I think that was more for defensive reasons, just because Philadelphia is so aggressive on the base pass that you need that arm that they have now they were a little less aggressive tonight now a lot of that had to do with Freed being a lefty but once it, the pin came in I'm really shocked that we didn't see more out of the Phillies as far as taking bases they're still doing that thing where when it's as soon as the ball hits the dirt they're taking off and taking their chances however Darno at the plate grabs a home run and essentially kind of uplifts Atlanta and the crowd by the way the crowd completely I still I still t- tend to tend to stay with this the crowd has been dead up until that point, and that includes game one all the way up until now. The only time they weren't dead in game one was when they were throwing crap on the field yeah. after a, a, a turned out to be correct um, call for catcher's interference. But no, so the Travis Darno thing, he's done well against Zach Wheeler in his career, right? So that's why he got the start. He's also done right. really well catching Max Free. But Travis Darno is also tied for second place in most home runs as a catcher in postseason history. The two guys ahead of him, he has 10. The two guys ahead of him, Jason Veritek and Jorge Posada with 11. So Travis Darno's done this a bit, right? And like this is the kind of thing we've talked about all in the back half of the year. The catchers have struggled to, to get offense to have production. And Travis Darno comes through. And was it a little bit of luck that that pitch was an, was an elevated fastball but still in the zone? Yes, that was luck. The Braves were lucky that Zach Wheeler missed his spot. And so the Braves get a home run, one-run game. Wheeler leaves, and then from that point, Atlanta does better against some of the relievers than they did on Saturday, and they do better than they had been doing against Wheeler. So there's another thing where luck kind of goes different directions. Philly fans, I just, you guys, you won the game on Saturday and you guys were all butthurt that we talked about how luck plays a role in these things. Jeez. It's absolutely like, hilarious. It's, it's, it's uh, sad. It's what it is. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, it's almost like they feel like they've been given, they, they've been slighted. We're not, we're not discounting the athleticism of the Phillies. The Phillies are a great ball club. They have a great lineup. Bryce Harper has been absolutely fantastic up until the last inning of this game where he took a chance in his luck ended up running out. Lindsay, as uh, we talk about luck, and I will say, Austin Riley down, two strikes on him as well. He ends up putting the barrel of the bat on the ball and lifting it over 400 feet because he was able to grab a fastball. And he was a little out in front, but it still it paid dividends. So, again, not saying that the Braves are lucky. However, that ball took a great turn for the better for the Braves. Yeah, I mean, like for that pitch to be on the inner third down just below the waist, like that's that's kind of that's kind of his money zone. That's kind of where he wants that pitch to be able to pull it and get it out and to do get a one handed home run like that. You know, that's something. Honestly, you want to talk about luck. If it was 10 degrees colder, that ball goes 370 feet instead of 376 and is not a home run. Like, you want to talk about luck. There you go. But no, it's it's just. This is something this offense was too good to be completely shut down. And like it's it's not at the end. This is still not a a moral victory for Atlanta. You came back and you won the game, but you also had a 14 inning scoreless streak where you were no hit in the back third of it. Like it's still not 
a great outing, but it's good to know that this team can put together some at-bats and can find their way to a victory when like when they're on the ropes and you have to have it. And so like Austin Riley getting that home run, obviously big deal, gives Atlanta a lead and then turning around and making that play in the the top of the ninth inning to end the game. Again, another example where things broke better for Atlanta than they had so far in this series. There was a moment very beginning of the game. Max Freed throws some very good looking curveballs that don't get the calls on the on the edges of the zone. So he starts having to throw in the middle of the zone and you see Philly start teeing off on him like when we I actually tweeted out during the game, some overlays where Max Freed didn't get these play these calls. And then Zach Wheeler got the same pitches called as strikes. And it's like there's another example of luck not quite working out. And there's a lot of other factors than play. Max was throwing curveballs to Wheeler's fastballs and lefty versus righty and all of that stuff. But the point is, the luck evened out in the back half of the game. And so what I think is the better team was able to rally and win the game. And so now we go to Citizens Bank Park tied at one game apiece. Atlanta needs to win at least one of those games to force a game five. And you and I were texting back and forth and going back and forth in the chats. And that's another thing. When you get back to Freed a little bit, everybody is wanting to pile on Freed for not having a great start or going 18 innings without having a regular season start. He actually didn't do a bad job of pitching. If you go back and you look at his numbers and what he put in the zone, if you just want to go take the umpire out of it, and put the zone in there and how well he did. I think he did fine. I told you, and I this is what I texted to the group, is I said, here's the thing. is when he's coming in with his fastball, he's going waist below, and they're looking to go the other way with it and doing fine. If he would elevate that just a little bit where they can't catch up to it, like Wheeler was doing to the Braves, I think he would have had just a little bit more success. Braves fans aren't going to want to hear this, and Phillies fans probably aren't either, but like it could have been worse. Right. Like like Mm. Max Freed forces Philly to go two for five with runners in scoring position. And he strands seven batters in four innings like it. Yeah, it wasn't great that he gave up a couple runs, but it could have been a lot worse. I remember a playoff game in 2020 where Atlanta goes down, what, 10 nothing in the first inning. Mm. I mean, this could have been much worse than it was. And so credit to Max for battling the best he could for understanding he didn't have his exact location. He also didn't have the benefit of the doubt on getting these calls and making it where it wasn't. He worked around where he was lacking so that he could uh, pitch as long as he could and do as well as he could. Like that's credit to Max. This is not you usually don't see him struggle like this. Right. And like you said, it's his. It's his first it's his first outing in essentially 20 something days. It makes sense. He'd be a little bit rusty. Combine that with not getting those calls. And that's why you see the struggles. But he got through it. okay. And Atlanta had a chance to win because Max kept it close. If this game is eight, nothing, nine, nothing late. I don't think Atlanta comes back and wins this game. But the but it was only like it, it was a much smaller lead. It was a a four run lead, and Atlanta was able to chip away and ultimately win the game because Max kept it close. Lindsey, did the bats now wake up from what we saw from the 
sixth inning on, do we see a different Braves team now that may be a little confidence? Because I've said before that, and, and I'm not the only one that said it. It's been Tim Kirchin has said it. Buster Olney has said it. That week off has, has, has genuinely hurt the number one seeds, and it looks like it's hurt them offensively because they're not used to seeing live pitching. Regardless of what they say about inter-squad games and all that, it's a whole different ball game when you've got a potential Cy Young winner throwing against you out there as opposed to guys throwing practice pitches. And I will point out that like the offense did get better throughout this game, right? Like, like uh, Zach Wheeler had 10 strikeouts. Seven of them were his first time through the order. The Mm -hmm. next time through the order is when Atlanta started getting uh, the bat on the ball was, was getting more, uh, balls in play to get outs. And then the third time through is when they start picking up those hits. So the right. offense started getting better, but getting the big hits, getting the home runs, getting this, the, the shot up the line like Ozzy did. I think that was the mental lift that Atlanta needed because they, it was obvious from their body language. They felt defeated. They felt like, wait, we're not going to be able to do this. And they, they got, they, they did it. And mm. so I feel like you're, you have a better chance now with your offense. Now, what's scary, scary, is you have to go to, to Philly and you have to take on Aaron Nola, who is a very good pitcher, and you do not have the pitching advantage like you had in game one, mm-hmm. where you had Spencer Strider going out and being fantastic. We don't know the Braves have not announced their plans for game three. The thought process is possibly Bryce Elder. Thought process is possibly something like an AJ Smith Shaver, some right. combination of that we may see. Uh, but a scenario where you can't rely on the bullpen too heavily because you do have another game to play on Thursday. So I think the bats will do better. I think the offense is kind of seeing, Hey, like we're not like, we don't have all of the bad luck in the world. Like we can still do this a bit. Hmm. And so I think the bats are going to do better. The question is, are they going to do it soon enough and often enough to take, carry the Braves to a victory over a good pitcher like Aaron Nola, I don't know. Ultimately, it was today. It was not on Saturday. Let's see what happens on Wednesday. Crazy ending as uh, you see a vet in Bryce Harper misread a ball. Maybe he's taking the gamble that Harris II is not going to catch it. And that's why he's doing that, because he's thinking he can score from first. However, it ends up biting him in the rear end, and that closes out the game just because of, like you said, even an overthrow, Riley's where he needs to be, and they end up doubling him up to end the ballgame. Yeah, that's something, like, I understand taking that calculated risk if you're Bryce Harper, right? I do, too. So all the Phillies fans that are wanting to jump on him for being stupid on that, I totally think that that was a great call on his part. It ended up backfiring on him. However, numbers probably show that most center fielders don't make that grab. Yeah. And, and it's, it's something where like kind of on that exact note, that is, I feel like for the most part, that is a, a scenario where that play, I just pulled it up while we're talking. That is an expected batting average of six ten on that play. So 61 times out of a hundred, that ball lands for a base hit. Yep. It's actually a home run in five different parks, believe it or not. So that's a scenario where he played the odds. He said the 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 benefit of me scoring the run and tying the game is significantly more than the possibility of them catching it and me not being able to get back. He still almost got back. He He almost was safe, even with the like even with committing fully to running at the crack of the bat. So it was a smart. It was the correct decision from Bryce Harper. As far as the game situation was concerned, it just didn't work out. 
And again, this is where luck comes in, because if Austin Riley's not right there, then he is he is safe at first and they are, they are not done. They are not dead. They have I believe they would have Bryson Stott coming up who already had, I think, two hits in this game. Right. So, you know, it's it's another example where luck in this case worked out in Atlanta's favor and not in Philly's favor. And as I and I, I texted somebody earlier before we came on the pod and I said, not just the catching of the ball that was a big deal, the fact that he kept his feet after he hit the wall. If mm-hmm. he if he hits the ground, Harper's back easily. That's yeah. not a double play whatsoever. Even with a good throw in, it's not a double play if he if he doesn't keep his feet. So uh let me ask you this is uh can the Braves grab one of two in Philly in order to at least grab a game five back in Atlanta? Because with the crowd waking up, the bats waking up. If this goes five, I like Atlanta's chances. You have to feel that they have a good po- a good chance of taking a game four. If you look at the way the schedule is going to work out, you're going to get Spencer Strider on regular rest. The Phillies are going to go the same thing that they did on Saturday. They're going to have Ranger Suarez, who has not been as good at home as he's been on the road. Right. As Philly fans told us in the in the comments, I'm using your own words here, guys. Um <laughs> And a scenario where it will be the second game in two days. So even if Atlanta loses game three behind mystery starter, who we don't know yet, you still have to like the ability to win game four with Spencer Strider to then get a game five at home in what should be a much better atmosphere than you saw Saturday night and then you saw tonight. So I... I like the Braves chances of winning at least one of these games. I still don't think the Braves are going to win them both. It just feels to me like Philadelphia is it's a really tough ballpark to play in. Everybody says the playoff atmosphere in that ballpark is one of the best in baseball. I just don't especially not knowing who the pitcher will be for game three. It doesn't feel like Atlanta is going to go out and win them both. But I like the chances of winning one and forcing a game five in Atlanta where you, assuming his finger came out okay, you would have Max Freed available for a game five. As I've said before, we don't know. We're in a glass case of emotion, and the one reason being is because... So that is the tail end there of last night and today's updated Brave Today podcast. Ben Taylor, Lindsey Crosby, talking about what was a magical game late in Atlanta last night. The first six innings were... Uh, pretty terrible for, for the Atlanta Braves and for you Braves fans. But uh, the Braves woke up, they found a way to make it happen, and they avoided the 0-2 deficit. They're tied 1-1, heading back to Philly, and that game, uh, game three, is tomorrow. Uh, and first pitch set for 4:07 uh, Central Time. We carried the game yesterday. We bumped the second hour of the drive. Uh, as we get into the week, we're not going to do that. We're going to pick up the game in progress um, just with – with it being LSU week, and obviously don't not trying to bump their show if we don't have to and, and can avoid it. And so uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to pick up those games in progress. So wherever they are, once the drive goes off, that's what we're going to do. But a uh, big shout-out, as always, to Ben and, and Lindsay on Braves Today and Bravestoday.com. Go check it out, uh, your best Braves coverage around. Uh, they do a fantastic job. We're going to take a break, come back. We'll talk some uh, college football. We got to look around college football, look around the SEC, uh, and kind of get updated on what's going on as we're right around that halfway point. What's on your mind on a Tuesday afternoon? Phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. 334 321 1390. We'll take a quick break and be right back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. 
You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, back inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Talking a little college football now as we switch gears. Um, And some of the big storylines going on right now uh, before we really look at college football, look at some SEC standings, talk some Auburn as well. Um, I heard Doug talk about this earlier, and I've seen a ton of people talking about it on Twitter. I've had people texting me and hit me up asking me what my thoughts are about it. Um, the comments from head coach Stoops from Kentucky, right? Mark Stoops of Kentucky uh, made some comments on a radio show, on his weekly radio show, about the reaction and response from Kentucky fans after the blowout loss to Georgia. And let's just be honest. This was a game where Georgia was supposed to win. Were they supposed to beat them by 40 or whatever it ended up being? No, probably not. But this was a game Georgia was supposed to win. And they're supposed to win it every year. Because Georgia has more talent than Kentucky. And guess what? Georgia will almost always have more talent than Kentucky in the sport of football. And Mark Stoops said so. And he basically said, look, I understand that Kentucky fans are upset. I understand, and that's a legitimate reaction. But if they want us to compete, they got to cough up more money because Georgia bought better players. That's what he said. That's exactly what he said. And... While he may not be wrong about Kentucky fans and Kentucky donors having to cough up a little bit more money to invest in their program when it comes to NIL facilities and things like that, I don't know if going out and saying that Georgia bought more players and bought better players was the right way to go about that, especially coming off of a 40-something point loss. I don't know. And especially in the middle of the season, too, right? After your first loss of the year, I get what he's saying. And look, he's right. Kentucky's going to have to find some money if they want to be a legitimate program in this conference. But to call out the fans and to say that Georgia just bought better players and that's the reason they won? I don't know, man. Seems a little weird to me. We'll talk some more about that. College football, the SEC, where we stand halfway through the year when we come back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. We are halfway through hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067, and let's get to the phone lines here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. 334-321-1390. And Terry, you're on the line, man. What's up? Hey, Jacob. Um... These these comments by uh, Stoops at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the big deal? Alabama's been buying players for years. <laughs> <laughs> I was living in Talladega still when the the Cam News, but it was just it was just utterly ridiculous the stuff going on. 
Everybody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who had a friend who knew somebody that knew something. Ken Moon was guilty. It was just, it was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they definitely didn't. They definitely were were hot about that for a while, weren't they? Oh yeah, it, it was. It, it got to the point of it was laughable because you know as I, as I stated, every brother's cousin's nephew's son's godson's nephew knew a girl who worked at the Huddle House who knew somebody who worked at Walmart that knew somebody that knew Ken Moon was guilty. <laughs> so. You know that's that's what I would always say. It just it just got it got out of control, got ridiculous, and it was obvious what was going on in Tuscaloosa. It was, it's called diversion. They were trying to divert it to everything to Auburn because of what they were doing. Yeah, and you know college sports for for so long, unfortunately, college right. sports have been dirty. I mean, they just have. I, yeah. it, let's just to, to put it as it is. College sports have been dirty, and what's crazy, Terry, is college basketball for a really long time was really, really bad. And um, now that a lot of this stuff, not all of it, but a lot of it is now legal with NIL, and I, I saw the other day that uh, the NCAA is is meeting to possibly p- uh, put in a rule where the colleges can actually be a little bit more involved, because right now they can't, right? It's completely separate. Um, sports information directors and coaches and all that can't be a part of that. Uh, but I saw where the NCAA is trying to allow them to somewhat be a part of that. I don't know all the details, but just now with it being a little bit more legal, um, you know, comments like what Mark Stoops says just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when it comes to calling out other programs for having NIL programs and having better facilities. No, I mean I'm cutting up with Alabama fans a little bit, Alabama a little bit, but it gone, it went on everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was not in this Alabama or anybody else. It was going everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. now what I, what I think you're going to see, Jacob, is you're going to see guys start staying around college that aren't going to make it in the pros as much because they can't make the money. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely I, right. I, I, I think you can see that more. Guys that, you know, shoe-ins, you know, you hear guys all the time leaving early to go to the pros that clearly are not ready. I tell you a guy that's going to go pro after this year at Alabama, and that's Kool-Aid McKinstry. He's not ready. Mm-hmm. I think all of the other corners better than him. Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. So um, he's going to go probably. You know why he's going to go? Because he's going to go in the top ten. He's going to be a gazillionaire. <laughs> yeah. yeah so look, yeah, you're right, man. And there's, there's so many players that have already realized that they've already realized. Hey, a I'm not ready for the NFL or the NBA <laughs> or whatever. And then mm-hmm. B, yeah, if they are a big enough name in college football or basketball or whatever, then yeah, they may stay in college, make a couple hundred thousand dollars or even the really high level ones can make a couple million dollars and still play college ball get better make some money and and overall you're in a better situation i even heard talk that uh, the, the quarterback of the usc caleb williams yeah i heard that too doesn't want to doesn't want to go play for the bears he may come back next year simply if the bears have the number one pick yeah i mean shoot with the bears right now i don't blame them they need a quarterback and i wouldn't no, I, I don't blame either but you know can you say you've ever seen that before i haven't no i haven't either and it's it's crazy well. that that you're getting college kids who are realizing that. And I'm not saying anything bad about a college kid, but you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds. I mean, and you're asking them to make these decisions on for their entire life, and they're starting to realize that a little bit. If they are big enough and, and popular enough and have enough NIL money where they don't have to rush to the pros and rush themselves into a career where a lot of times it just doesn't work out. Well, I know what you know, John Elway did, and so did um, the other Manning, Eli Manning. You know, didn't want to go to San Diego, want to go to the Giants, which I never can figure out why somebody would want to live in New York, not San Diego, California. But that's not the story. Um, but those both guys did. It said, "Hey, if you draft me, I'm not going to come there. I'm going to go back. And yeah. I'm going to come and do something else." Yeah. 
So they, they played the cards and, and end up end up where they wanted to. And and you know what? I think they have that right, Terry. I really do. I think they should have oh, a I right. I agree. So I agree. And that's that's what I said about um, uh, Caleb Williams. He don't want to play for the Bears, but I'm sure the decimal point in the zeros will make up for it. I'd play for anybody with that amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Jacob. Appreciate it, Terry. Great to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We'll get back to the phone lines. You're on the line. Who am I speaking with? Yeah, uh, this is Brandon. Hey, Brandon. How are you, man? i doing well, man. Jacob, enjoy your show. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'll listen to you up here in North Alabama. But I just want to touch a little bit on the panel, too, what he just said. I mean, yeah. you, one with Kentucky – I guess Stoops, when you get your A double handed to you like he did, the first card you pull out of your pocket is, you know, we got we got to pay more or something or mm-hmm. pay the same as. But anyway, uh, that's not really why I called. But um, it's going it, to. I'll tell you another thing too. Is they made the biggest deal out of Utah with the Dodge trucks, and uh, I think uh, Alabama's been in the Dodge business for a while. I, I, I'm kind. I've been having a hard time trying to figure out why that was news and why it wasn't news a few years ago. But anyway, well, this um, one this one was a little bit more out there for everybody to see, was it not? Uh, absolutely. But uh, the <laughs> main reason I called, what um, you know, going into LSU this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, I've been an Auburn fan a long time, and uh, I guess I go off my feelings a lot on this, and, and I felt really good about Georgia. I did not feel we would win, but I felt we'd play really well be competitive and have a chance at the end, which is really all you can ask for. But uh, this uh, LSU game, uh, just traditionally being on the road in Baton Rouge, uh, man, that's a tough task for a team without a lot of experience and um, a lot of question marks. But um, with that, offensively, with the struggles we've had, some of them, I, I just keep hearing rumblings that, you know, um, there's a little bit of, I have a feeling that some of this is preventable, and it's definitely not all on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you. Do you feel that all our offensive coaches are safe at the end of this year? That is a good question. Continue? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I think, honestly, to be completely honest with you, I think the back half of this season really is what that depends on. Um, because to this point, if let's say the season were to have ended right now today, right, just for, for conversation's sake, if the season would have ended right now, I think there are a lot of people who would not be impressed with the offensive coaching staff, but it's only one year in, right? And I still think that's going to be the case at the end of this season, but luckily for Auburn, in the back half of the schedule, you're playing lesser opponents, and so you have an opportunity to allow the offense to get better. And... I think most of them will be safe. I mean, it's really hard for me to say if one or two guys would be let go, but um, I think everybody would be safe unless it's just a disaster and maybe there's some just some um, some relationship issues or something. I don't know if that's the case. I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I think everybody will be safe um, because I think the offense will get better as the season goes on. And again, it's only one year, and the important thing is. Hugh Freeze has talked about a lot of the struggles have been on the coaches and not putting them in the right place, but he has taken a lot of credit for that personally. And so my hope is that he continues to work with his offensive coaches and they work together and they get better together and you don't have to go through the process of firing somebody and hiring somebody new and starting that process all over again. 
I agree completely, and I, I mean, I fully hope that's the way the season plays out, and that you know they just get better. That's the biggest thing is that we see growth. But uh, I'm a little concerned about the receiver position and the way those guys are developing. So. That's all I was going to call about. I appreciate your time. Yeah, appreciate you calling in, man. Great to hear from you, and uh, I appreciate you listening up in North Alabama. A lot of my family is from up there, man. That's where um, that's where uh, that's how I was born up there, where most of my family lives right now. Whether it be uh, Florence, Muscle Shoals, Sheffield area, that's that's where all my family's at up there. And so appreciate you tuning in and calling in from up there. And that brings up a really interesting point about the offensive coaching staff, which not a lot of people have really talked about with Auburn. And uh, here's my biggest thing. I hate seeing coaches fired and let go, A, because somebody's losing their job, and that's never, uh, it's never a good thing, right? But it's such a process, right? It's such a process when you let somebody go and you have to go through and find somebody else, right? Somebody else that fits with the head coach, somebody else that fits with the other coaches on the staff, somebody that you're taking a gamble and a risk on that he's going to vibe with all of the players on the team. And think about it this way, too. When you fire or let go, I should say, or part ways, however you want to put it, with with an offensive or a defensive assistant coach, there are recruits that are either committed to your program or thinking about committing to your program for that specific coach. I mean, we've seen Auburn have some really, really big success and really big pulls on the recruiting trail because of assistant coaches on offense and defense, right? We've seen that for years. And when you let somebody go off the staff, you're taking a risk of losing recruits because of that. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I'm just talking in the grand scheme of things here in a general conversation you take that risk when you let somebody go is maybe that receiver or maybe that running back or maybe that linebacker was committed for that assistant coach. Sure, they liked the program and they liked the head coach, but their relationship with that assistant coach was really what was bringing them here. And so if you let him go, you're taking that risk. Now, if the guy's got to go, he's got to go. I'm not saying keep him just so you get the recruits, but you understand what I'm saying here. And so that's an issue, right? Then you've got to go find somebody new and all the things I just talked about, bringing them in and restarting with a new assistant coach, whether it be a coordinator, we know how big that is, or whether it be a a running backs coach or a linebacker coach or a defensive line coach, whatever the case may be, that's a process to bring somebody new in and train them how you want them to be trained. And you want them to mold your team like you want them to be molded. And so I am always on the the boat of don't have roster or don't have coaching turnover unless it's absolutely necessary. And you know what a great example of that is? Look at Alabama. For the first time in a really, really long time, I think you're seeing coach turnover negatively impact Nick Saban and the Alabama football program. Because for years, we know the coaching tree. I mean, the dude's got 100 disciples coaching college football everywhere. It's unbelievable. And up to this point, that has not negatively impacted the program. 
very much, here and there, but overall, no. For a couple of reasons. A, because Nick Saban's just that good as a head coach. And B, he's gone out and found other coordinators that are pretty darn good that have gone on to be coaches elsewhere. But for the first time, you're finally seeing all that coaching turnover come back to bite them. And that's the reason that they're struggling more this year than they have in a long time. And that's a different situation because of they have coaching turnover every single year. And that's not firing people. That's them taking head coaching jobs, which is crazy in itself. But again, you understand where I'm going here. It's hard to replace coaches. And it's hard to replace coaches with better coaches. And that's a process that, sure, you'd rather do early in the Hugh Freeze era rather than later. But if the offense for Auburn in the last however many games here in the back half of this season, if the offense starts to get better, I don't think I want to see coaches let go. But like I mentioned to to Brandon, unless there is some back-end, behind-closed-doors problems with relationships or communication or whatever it may be, unless those problems arise and those problems exist, I don't want to see coaches be let go. I'd rather stick it out and see where this thing goes because Hugh Freeze handpicked most of these guys. And the other ones are here because they're Auburn legends and we know what impact they have on Auburn. So it's a really good question. And if the season ended today, I don't know who would be safe. But again, I think, it, it, I think it's no different than if it ended right now or if it ends at the end of the season like it ultimately will, unless it's just abysmal, unless it's just terrible, I don't want to see guys let go. 334-321-1390. Got a couple of phone calls we're going to get to when we come back as we wrap up hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up our number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Let's get back to the phone lines. 334-321-1390 and tie the tiger. You're on the line, man. Great to hear from you, brother. What's going on, Jacob, man? I hope you're enjoying this Tuesday, brother. It's beautiful outside. I am, man. It's another gorgeous day in Auburn, Alabama. That's right. That's right. Man, let me give you a quick story about this Braves game. So, Yeah. Um, so, man, I mean, dude, that what a game. And hopefully, you know, I mean, just being shut out, not even shut out, no hit, you know, through five innings. Mm-hmm. And, and just coming away with a little something-something. You know, Acuna starting it off with a walk. Um, going first to third, I mean, just, man, I think that's what we needed. You see the Dodgers are struggling. I saw a stat where it said uh, the uh, for the last two years, man, these teams that uh, get to buy are, are six and eight in that first game. The only two teams that's won last year's Astros, this year's Astros. Wow. I believe it, man. I hate, I hate the new format. I absolutely I hate, hate it. it. I hate it. But anyway, quick back story real quick. I know you're up against the break. Yeah, I got a few more uh, minutes. Go for it. About a month ago, man, I'm playing my son in the show, right? Okay. Course, <laughs> okay. I'm playing I'm the Braves. 
He's uh he's the Dodgers. He's Freddie Freeman. Knocks one to the center field fence. I run and 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 catch it over the fence with Michael Harris. Oh yeah. And literally started, you know, how did you do that? I said he that is him. That is the man. That is it. <laughs> you That's, know, right. That's right. That's right. So last night, after he did that play, I was like, "Oh my god, I couldn't believe it!" And my <laughs> son, we're 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 sitting there, we're 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 celebrating. He looks right at me and he says, "I can, Dad." I said, "You can believe he did it." He said, "Yeah, he's him. He is I him." Do it before. <laughs> so, I man, love that, that man. I love that. Same spot. I mean, literally, it looked like the video game in real life. That's crazy, man. But he, he awesome. really is. He really is him, man. He is so good. And, and it, I don't understand how guys like that can make plays like that. I mean, that he makes it look so easy, but I promise you that is not an easy play to make. And uh, not only did he make the grab, obviously threw it in, uh, missed the first cutoff, man. Heck of an effort for the second guy to be there to back it up. That is massive baseball IQ. Talk it over and throw guy. out right yeah exactly that, that's that what i'm saying the third guy. that you know that kind of looked like a little bit not as not as uh maybe uh a a such a uh monumental play but reminded me of the Derek jeter you remember when Derek jeter came in and grabbed the cutoff and oh yeah home? yeah yeah it, it, you know it could be one of those postseason moments but i just hope man that that just woke us up we back to who we are I mean, to, in my opinion, especially watching, I watch baseball very much, and and I've watched these post series, all the games. Mm-hmm. I think the two best teams in the entire major league are playing this series against each other. Um, I think the Phillies are just strong. It, it just shows you pitching depth and what could happen. Um, and you know, it, it seems like the Braves every year. I mean, we've got so many great contracts. We have to go get another ace and stop relying on 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 developing and we got to go spend a little bit of money. I don't know if Morton's coming back but that could be the money that we're looking for, you know, to spend, but I right. think in the off season we need to go get a wheeler. We need to go get a, a somebody that's just going to be that extra ace besides Spencer and Freed cuz I think those are our two one and two hands down. Mm-hmm. And let's just see what we do in Philly cuz you know, this is the same same formula that happened last year. And we never came back to Atlanta. Right. That's the that's 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 the scary thing. Yeah, that's the scary yeah. thing. Is is how does how do both teams respond in Philly? Is it gonna be the Braves to get the bats going or does Philly come out uh heated and, and upset about it and come out and just roll in, in Philadelphia? We're gonna find out, man. Yep, yep. And uh as far as uh and, and just to kinda and that was my what I had to talk about, but I just going on what y'all were talking about earlier, man, as far as, you know, getting rid of anybody in Auburn, I don't really see you know, look, if you listen to Hugh Freeze's preseason press conferences, he told us we were gonna be missing pieces. He told us it was gonna be a tough year to get the offense together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the defense has been uh, one of the best in the nation. Um, I mean, it, it seems like we break down when we've been on the field, you know, for 30, 45 minutes after right. the, the fourth quarter. And, I mean, I, hey, it is what it is. I can't get out there and do what they do. So, I'm not knocking them. But I think the defense will be all right. But I, I wouldn't see any changes this year. It's it needed. I think some people might, you know, get some better jobs. 
on. I think, you know, there's always some coaches uh, disagreeing, you know, uh, a lot of egos when it comes to Yeah, that, I mean, that's always a possibility. Stuff. That's always a possibility. You know, there's no doubt about it. Ty, got to let you go, brother. All right, man. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Always great to hear from Ty the Tiger. We got to get out of here as our number one wraps up. Shane, hold on. You're going to be first up in our number two here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. The following is an Auburn Network production. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway here in hour number two on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. My name is Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of hour number one, uh, flew by, really. Uh, we talked about the uh, Braves playoff game from last night, the thriller that was in Atlanta. I uh, had some audio from the latest Braves Today podcast with Ben Taylor, Lindsey Crosby, breaking it down immediately following the game last night uh, so uh, breaking that game down previewing as the series moves to Philadelphia tied at one apiece uh, we also talked some great Auburn football had some good conversations in that first hour with a couple of good phone calls uh, so if you missed any of that you can find the podcast commercial free later on today right after the show at ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast but coming up here in hour number two we're about to get to the phone lines once again we're going to talk some Auburn talk college football kind of look at everything as it stands right now as we are uh, almost halfway into this college football season and so that's what's coming up in the first 30 minutes then Double D Daryl Daprich will join me at 3.30 uh, to talk a little Auburn football as well get his thoughts coming out of the bye week previewing LSU coming up this weekend and all the biggest topics in Auburn football so that's what's coming up at 3.30 but until then phone lines are open would love to hear from you we've had great calls already and I'd love for you to be one of them as well. 334-321-1390 is the number to get you through to me. 334-321-1390. And we're going to get to the phone lines. Shane has been waiting very patiently on the phone line. Shane, great to hear from you, man. What's up? Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. Um, I just wanted to comment on... Uh, so is it... Are, are you hearing like fan, the fan base is like wondering if we should let go of some of our coaches? Uh, well, I had a caller in the first hour. Yeah, a caller in the first hour just called in and asked, you know, if if, if at the end of the season do I think offensive coaches are safe uh, for Auburn right now? Gotcha. Um, I hope so, man. Um, I, 
I think Auburn just needs a little bit of stability. We're not going to be we're not going to be you know world beaters year one. Uh, everybody hopefully knew knew that going in, mm-hmm. and if they weren't, then 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 you're in for a world of hurt for you know for this first season, right? If you thought we were going to go ten and two or or, or something, but um, I, from what I've seen, uh, what I saw from the A and M into the tech, to the Georgia game was a lot of improvement. Um, the defense. So, so I'm not really sure if we would have to worry about anything defensively. Just, just to get more players. That's it. Get healthy. Um, yeah. Get healthy. Get healthy. Yeah. I mean, it was, so, so our problem is just depth. We, we don't have the amount of players that the other teams do, and it shows we can keep up, keep up. First half, and I think every game has been extremely close. And then just by the by the fourth quarter, we're just beat. We're just we're just exhausted. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that's just going to take another another year. And I think we'll we'll have one. You know, let's say we go six and six this year. Uh, that, you know, by next year, I see us going eight and four, nine and three. And then the next year, then you, then you can start you complaining if you don't see any improvement. But you got to give it some time, uh, or, or is this going to be? You're gonna be nothing. You're, it's just gonna be turnover and turnover, and you're never gonna have any stability. And that's what we need right now is, is just some stability and to build it. You can't build it if you're firing people left and right. No, I, I'm a hundred percent with you, Shane. I mean, it, it's crazy because it's the it's the world we live in now, even with football outside of football, where yeah. people want results want now. They want it. That's exactly right. They want it now. Right and look with with everything that happens in our world today, there's a lot of things where you can get it right now. I mean, you can get something delivered to your house overnight within the same day if you want to. I mean, it's kind of crazy, yeah. right? And so yeah. that's where people's minds are, and that's just where people have been trained. Uh, you can get information in the in the palm of your hand. You can get food delivered to your house within ten minutes. I mean, it's crazy. But that's where everybody uh-huh. is, and that's where everybody is applying when it comes to sports. And it just doesn't work that way. It takes a little bit of time. And you're absolutely right when it comes to you know, letting coaches go and trying to figure out who's the right fit and what position and all that. I mean, there are times where, sure, it's, you know, it's the right move to let somebody go. But after year one, as I mentioned in the first hour, unless there's just some back-end stuff that we don't know about, relationship issues with coaches or whatever yeah. it may be, that's a different story. But as long as we can see some improvement with the offense this year, I don't think letting coaches go is the right answer after just one year. I just don't. I, yeah, I, I'm, I, I agree with you. I don't see any any. I don't. I, I don't foresee any issues like that, like a behind closed door kind of thing. Because I, 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 I mean, I like all of the personalities of all the coaches, and so, so, so the running backs they're they're doing great. But they're not world beaters either right now, uh, you know. Um, and you're not going to let Carnell Williams go, are you? <laughs> right, exactly. He's the, he's the, uh, so I, just give it give it a little bit of time, and, and we'll be fine. And, you know, I, I'm, I realistically am looking at um, next year. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to enjoy this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to enjoy it with no expectations because – we're not gonna. We're not going to the. I want to go to a bowl game. That's my expectation for this year, and um, just have fun watching them, going to them, tailgating again. Because because you know for a while that you got the joy sucked out of you because 
you have if you lose like one game, you're, you're done basically because then you have tiebreakers and all this. Because you know, so so you're going to lose a couple of games this year. Let's just enjoy the rest and and hopefully we see improvement and see some see them have fun again. And and uh, next year maybe maybe get a little bit more serious next year. Yeah, and, and look, I I want to remind people too. Remember last year after the Penn State game. No, there was not one single Auburn fan that I knew, whether it be on this show or out in the community or my friends, family, whatever. There was not one single Auburn fan that was excited for an Auburn game on Saturday. Not one. After the Penn State game last year, with everything that was going on and the poor play right. and the bad coaching and everything that was going on, nobody was excited for Auburn football. I mean, it was something I've never seen in my entire life as an Auburn fan. And now there is some excitement because Auburn is competing in these football games, and there's this crazy thing called hope, right? And so I think a lot of Auburn fans should be like you, Shane, where limit your expectations in year one and understand that it does take a little bit of time. And with the recruiting that's already been uh, building behind the scenes and a really good recruiting day a couple of weeks ago against Georgia, I mean – there are better days on the horizon. What you've said, oh, yeah. though, Shane, is right. You just got to give it a little bit of time. That's right, man. All right, man. I'm going to sit back and enjoy. We're eagle. Appreciate the call, Shane. Appreciate you holding on uh, through through that final break there as well uh, to get on the show. 334-321-1390. Would love to hear from you as well. And, and look, uh, caller in the first hour brought that question up about offensive coaches, and I don't think he was calling for coaches to be fired or let go. He was just asking a genuine question, and it has sparked a really good conversation on a Tuesday afternoon, and I really respect that. Um, I love these types of conversations. It's conversations that can be had coming out of a bye week, and so uh, if you have comments on it, would love to hear from you. But I had one also that has already been – sparked up in the last couple of weeks and it was talked about going into the bye week coming out of the Georgia game and it's a conversation that I think is a real one and it surrounds the most crucial position on the football team if I ask you what what is the most crucial position for a football team to be successful what do you say and then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question to that I'm going to say What position is Auburn really struggling on, especially offensively? That's very, very crucial. It's the quarterback spot, right? We know the struggles with the receivers. That has to get better. That absolutely has to get better. And I think that's where you could look at, it's like, okay, we know that the talent may not fully be, they're not saying there aren't good receivers, but compared to what Auburn needs to have and compared to what the rest of the SEC has, for the most part, Auburn is lacking in the receiver room. And we knew that coming into the year. Remember, we talked about this all summer long, that Auburn's got to find somebody to throw the football to. We know that's an issue, and that needs to get better, and it will with recruiting down the road. You've got Perry Thompson, who could be your starting receiver right now, who's committed to play for this program. But I want to talk the quarterback spot. Because as we come out of the bye week and as we get closer to this LSU game this weekend against an LSU defense that we all know is not playing very well. And I keep wording it that way for a reason. They are not playing well. I think they're a good defense because they've got some really good players. 
I just don't think they've got it all figured out just yet. But coming into this game, there's still a question mark at the quarterback spot. And there's still a question mark for Auburn on which quarterback on this roster gives you the best chance to win football games. I think that's still a question right now. Did Peyton Thorne play better in the Georgia game? Absolutely. Did Peyton Thorne make some really good throws in the Georgia game? You better believe it. Did his receivers help him out? Not a whole lot. And according to Hugh Freeze, the coaches didn't help him out all that much as well. If you just listen to his quotes from yesterday in the press conference, he said there were multiple situations. He narrowed it down to 10 plays in the game that were extremely crucial to the outcome. In a one-score game, he narrowed it down to 10 plays. He said some of those were you know, on the players, whether it be throws or drops or not catching the ball or whatever, right? Running, not making the right read or making the right play. But he said the other half of those were on us as coaches. And so whether it be Peyton Thorne or whether it be Robbie Ashford or whether, like we've had a lot of people on this show say, go the young route and go with Holden, no matter who's back there, the coaches have to do their job to set them up to be successful. Hugh Free said that. I'm saying that because it's true. It's absolutely true. So once that starts happening, then you can start looking at the quarterbacks individually, and especially Peyton Thorne as the starter, and saying, okay, he's either it or he's not. But we all know the stat. He had nine incompletions against Georgia and six of them hit receivers in the hands. That's not on him. That's not on him. And we've seen it all weekend long in college and we saw it on Sunday in the NFL. Coaches putting quarterbacks in bad situations. That's not on him. That's not on them. So I think there is a legitimate question here on... Which quarterback gives Auburn the best chance to win? And my question to you, got somebody on hold, we're going to get to a break, we'll get to them right back when we come back. Is this game against LSU this weekend, is this the final straw for Peyton Thorne as Auburn's starting quarterback? We pondered this in the bye week. He had a good, a pretty good game against Georgia, I would say. And he's got a real opportunity to have a good game this weekend against LSU. If Auburn truly did some self-reflecting, and if Auburn really fixed some things in the bye week, and Peyton Thorne continues to get better building off the Georgia game, he should have a good game against LSU. But what if he doesn't? What if he has another Texas A&M game? What if he has another Cal game? Is this the final straw for him as QB1? 334-321-1390. Would love to get your thoughts on that. We're going to get to the phone lines when we come back before Daryl Daprich joins us later on in the program. Come on in and join me. Great conversations here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. I want to hear from you. You are on the line on ESPN 1067 online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. 
Let's get back to the phone lines here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. And Mark, you're on the line, man. What's up? Hey, how you doing? I'm good, Mark. I'm good. So after the cow game, I called in and I said, you know, I was strongly in favor of uh, giving the job to Robbie Ashford and letting him try it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one thing that has got me changed, until Robbie demonstrates that he can hit down the field passes, uh, you know, which who knows if our receivers will man up and catch them or not. Uh, I think we have to go with Thorne because that at least gives the defense the idea that we do have somebody that can hit a receiver. Now, whether or not they catch them, that's where the receivers have got to start manning up and, you know, locking the ball. They're getting their hands on it, but they've got to pull those passes in. Right. Uh, and Thorne has demonstrated that he can. Now, he's. Not, I'm not even going to pretend that he's the runner that Ashford is, but he has proven that he can run the ball uh, when he makes that decision to pull it and go with it on the RPO. But uh, I just think until Ashford demonstrates that he can hit a receiver down the field, not the swing pass, that I think we have to at least give the defense the mindset that, hey, they may throw the ball. Yeah, I think that's a really, really um, interesting point, and I think you're spot on with that. Uh, with Peyton Thorne running, I want to talk about that first and then to the the throwing threat. You know, I talked about coming into this year, and even Carter, when he was still here with me, talked about how Peyton Thorne's a sneaky good runner, and we've seen it, right? We've seen him get into a rhythm a little bit, running the ball early um, and really setting him in and getting a little comfortable uh, at the quarterback spot in general. I mean, he's got almost 200 yards on the ground this season, uh, but he does give you the threat to throw it deep. And we saw we saw it at Michigan State, and we've seen it a little bit here at Auburn. I, I would like to see Auburn throw it deep more um, in better situations. I mean, they've done it, but it just seems like when they do it, it's just kind of awkward when they do. And you're absolutely right, Mark. The receivers have to prove and have to earn the trust of Peyton Thorne and the coaches to be able to call a play and say, okay, you know, okay, Malcolm Johnson, we're going to throw you a deep ball. You got to go up and get it. Or Jay Fair, you got to get open and catch the football when it's thrown your way. So you're absolutely right on that. When it comes to Robbie, yeah, I mean, he, he has to prove that he can throw it downfield, but here's the problem. He's QB2, and he's only thrown it 18 times this year. So that has to be done in practice. And if he's not proving it in practice, they're not going to give him the opportunity to prove it in the game because realistically, if you're not doing it off, you know, off the main stage, how are you going to do it on the main stage? Exactly. And then the last point I want to make is for, for heaven's sake, the next time we have third and one, let's don't throw the ball or get in shotgun. Let's run a quarterback sneak and have the running backs just charge in and push. Let's see if we can't get the first down without having to try to do it on fourth down and one. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I'm absolutely with you on that. Under center and sneak it and see if we can't get the ball over. But anyway, yep. enjoy the show and have a great afternoon. Appreciate that, Mark. Great to hear from you, man. Great great thoughts and comments there uh, on a few things when it comes to Auburn football, especially at that quarterback spot. Look, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles have given everybody in the game of football the formula on how to pick up third and one, fourth and one. You line up under center, 
You bring two running backs behind them, the offensive line's packed in there tight like some sardines, and you snap the ball, and everybody gets behind and just pushes. And every time it happens, he looks like he's going to be short, right? If you watch Jalen Hurts and the Eagles do it, the initial push, he gets stopped. He hits a wall. And then all of a sudden, everybody just falls forward. The offensive line falls forward. The running backs are still pushing. The tight ends are pushing. Everybody's just falling forward, and they get it every single time. It's unstoppable. Now, can Auburn do that every time? Or can college teams do that every time? Especially when you're going up against other good college teams? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're doing it in the NFL against the best in the world, so why wouldn't it work down here? I don't know. But I'm absolutely with you on that. No reason for a quarterback in any situation. This is not just Auburn related. This is any situation in the game of football. Third and one, fourth and one, second and one, I don't care. Second and one's a little bit different, but you know what I mean. Quarterback in shotgun or the running back being four or five yards back behind. Because sometimes you'll see the quarterback go under center and the running back is five or six yards back behind him, and the quarterback has to turn and get it to the back. And I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to give him a little momentum and get him running downhill. But at that point, you're not trying to pick up a yard. You're trying to pick up six or seven yards, and the defense has more time to break through and make a play, whether it be up the middle or around the edge or whatever. So... Run some, some RPO, right? Run something other than a shotgun pass in third and fourth and short. Because Auburn clearly doesn't have the capability to do that. And you saw that against Georgia. So, Mark, great point there. Great points about the quarterbacks as well. And phone lines are still open for the next uh, three to four minutes if you want to hop in on these conversations. I posed this question before we went to break, and I'm really curious, and I'm going to ask Daryl this when we get on the phone with him in just a few minutes. On Saturday, in Baton Rouge, where Auburn has a horrible record. Now, magical things happened there the last time, but this is a different team, different story. Offensively speaking for Auburn and Peyton Thorne, is this the final straw? If Auburn goes down and scores, honestly, if they score less than 20 points and Peyton Thorne, you know, throws, has a 50% completion percentage, no touchdowns and a couple interceptions, right? Has a bad game. Is it then time, would you as the head coach put yourself in Hugh Freeze's shoes, who Seems like he's been more involved in the offense, and I think he will be moving forward because he realizes how necessary it is. But put yourself in the shoes of Hugh Freeze. If that's the stat line for Peyton Thorne, let's say he's 9 of 18 for 120 yards and two interceptions on Saturday, and Auburn doesn't break 20. Is that enough for you as the head coach to say, all right, we got to make a change? Got to make a change. And if so, do you go with Robbie, who is the running threat but doesn't have the throwing threat yet? Or do you go with the young guy and build for the future and go with Holden Gurner, who can sling it, can absolutely sling it, but has 
little to no experience, has nine pass attempts on the season. I'm curious on what you think on, on that. And, and you may not know right now. You may have to think about it for a little bit because I don't have an answer for you yet because I have to think about it. But I was pondering that, and we've talked about this, and I don't fully know where I would go. I have an idea. I have an idea on what my answer to that question would be if Peyton Thorne and the offense struggle once again to throw the ball, to move the ball, and eventually score right on offense. Is this the last straw? Is this the game where you just have to pull the plug and say, okay, we need to change? Because you've had the bye week to make changes, to self-evaluate, to build confidence, to change up your game plan a little bit. And you're also playing an LSU team that's defense has been pretty terrible. You have chances to be good this weekend. You have chances to break through offensively. And you have a really good chance, in my opinion, for Peyton Thorne to even grow up a little bit more. As an experienced guy, a chance to grow up a little bit more. But what if none of that happens? Then I think there's a real issue. Because guess what? Auburn can't get in a shootout with LSU. You're going to lose. Sorry. You're going to lose. As great as Auburn's defense has been playing, you can't hang with LSU's offense and Jaden Daniels. So the defense has to make plays, but the offense has got to score. So I'm curious of where you stand on that. When we come back, Daryl Dapper's Double D will join me on the phone lines. We'll talk to him about that, about Auburn, Georgia. A quick recap there and preview Auburn and LSU. That's coming up here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. We've got 30 more minutes here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067 and our normal Tuesday guest, Daryl Dapperich, joining us on the phone lines. He's with us every Tuesday at 3.30. was not with us last week because I wasn't here last Tuesday. But Daryl, great to hear from you. It's been too long, man. I missed you last week and glad to have you back. Man, I am too, and I'm just very proud you called me normal because you're one of the few people that, that does. But it's saying I'm a normal Tuesday guest. There you go. Uh, usual. Glad, glad I can say usual instead if you there like. There you go. There you go. No, I appreciate the compliment. Um, glad you're feeling better in all seriousness. We joke around a lot. But obviously, uh, glad you're back to normal and fighting over that thing and uh, getting healthy again. Yes, well, I'm, I'm feeling much better and glad to be back and glad to uh, talk a little Auburn football with you. Of course, you are a weekly appearance and make a weekly appearance on Locked on Auburn with Zach Blackerby. Uh, you are the Montgomery Radio legend, like we like to call you here as well. And you know Auburn football and, and, and give your thoughts better than anybody. And so I always look forward to this conversation, and there's so much to catch up on um, from over the last couple of weeks. We've got the Georgia game to talk about, the bye week to talk about, 
and then previewing Auburn and LSU coming up this weekend. And so I know Georgia was a couple weeks ago, and I don't want to uh, really harp on that a whole lot, but just what you saw in that game from Auburn where they only lose to the number one team in the country by a touchdown. Yeah, you know, we had talked about it the Tuesday prior that we felt like Auburn was going to have to run the ball. They were going to have to ugly the football game up, limit possession, shorten the game. Um, I did not feel like, I did not see Auburn running it as successfully as they did. You know, rushing it for 220 yards, 40 carries, pretty impressive. And if, and again, it, any passing game at all, any semblance of a efficient, keep them on your toes, keep you honest passing game, and Auburn wins that football game. I don't play the what-if game a lot, but the bottom line is Auburn could have got to 27 or 30 points had they had a, a proficient passing game, enough just to, to make some plays down the field. There were some drops. There were some misreads. There were some sacks. So it was a combination of a lot of things uh, from the passing game. I, I, I'm very encouraged. By the way, Auburn ran the ball on Georgia. And then, you know, what's great about football is sometimes the answers to the test come a week later. So what Georgia did to Kentucky makes that game even look better the next week. And in itself, it looked good. I'm not into moral victories. I've talked about it before. Upwards is for my son, not for college football players. Uh, you don't get participation trophies. But because the game was there. You don't have an opportunity to beat number one that often, and it was there for the taking had Auburn been able to do anything from a balance standpoint. But that being said, bigger picture, looking at the rest of the season and what that game could do for Auburn, look at what happened the following week. A Kentucky team that was undefeated, that was said to contend in the East for Georgia, gets absolutely boat raced 51-13. to So, you know, Auburn scored more points than Kentucky. And they also held Georgia to half of what Kentucky did, basically. So that's got to be encouraging as you go into your off week and try to get people healthy. And speaking of that off week, that's what Auburn just went through. And we heard Hugh Freeze talk yesterday um, about the the thing that I keep going back to is a self-reflection, right? The bye week is a chance for you to really look at yourself as a team and fix some things that you're at right around that halfway point uh, in the bye week. And as we get into the LSU game coming up on Saturday, what are those things, Daryl, in your mind that Auburn really needed to self-reflect on, maybe change up a little bit to try to turn the ship in the right direction after a 3-2 and two start heading into LSU this weekend? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Kudos to you because a lot of people miss that point when it comes to bye weeks. They look at the obvious one, which is getting people healthy. Jacob, that's important. I get it. Mm-hmm. They talk about maybe changing schemes and personnel, and if you're going to implement something, the bye weeks to do it. But I think one of the most important overlooked aspects of a bye week is what you said, self-reflection, or I call it taking inventory. It's where you are in the season. You go back and you reflect and you say, okay, we need to improve our football team. And there's two ways to do that. Eliminate what we do poorly and try to get better at some other things. So if you look and say, okay, let's look back at where we are in the season. What are some things that Auburn does well? Well, defensively, They're stopping the run better than I thought they would. They're doing a good job in the past defend game, not so much rushing the passer. They've got a potent running game, 
not so much potent passing game. So you go back and you go, okay, let's play to our strengths. Let's run the ball more. Let's try to do something schematically to bring free rushers through. Um, let's continue to try to do what we do to stop the run with whatever alignments, defensive alignments we have. That's the wonderful part about a, a bye week is you take a, you do a self-assessment. And Auburn, I think, did that. And I think they looked, and I would not be surprised. At some point, you've just got to say, you know what, let's quit banging our head against the wall. We are what we are. And if we can run it for 220 against Georgia, LSU's pass defense is porous. We may go for three bills if we run it effectively. Let's just be what we are. Let's run it 60 65% of the time. We tried to be balanced. It's not working. It's about winning football games. If the 2013 Auburn football team that got to the national championship tried to be balanced with Nick Marshall, they would not have gotten to the SEC championship game. That's fair. So maybe it's time to change the quarterback position and run, go read option more than RPO. I don't know, but that's what a bye week can allow you to do. You self-reflect, like you said, you self-assess, you look inward. And I think Auburn, besides getting some dudes, trying to get some dudes healthy, I think that's the most important thing that can come out of the bye week is looking at what we do well, sticking with that, and throwing out what we do poorly and quit trying to do it over and over and again, which is a definition of insanity. Yeah, and you know, it's. I'm glad you bring a couple of points up there, and the, there's no doubt that Auburn has to get healthier. I mean, there's. I mean, every team in America could say that, sure, but Auburn's really dealing with some big time injuries, and that's the big thing for me. Is it's not just injuries here and there to random guys. I mean, you've got Jalen Simpson, who's banged up, is one of the best defensive players in the secondary in the entire country, and of course, Keontae Scott's still out, and so Auburn's dealing with injuries, and that has to get better. But you're right, the scheme and Auburn's got to figure out what they are good at and what they're not and do the things that they're good at. And that's what they have to try and figure out this weekend. Offensively, going up against an LSU defense, Daryl, that I don't have to tell you has been playing abysmal and couldn't stop a toddler in a football helmet. And so what can Auburn do this weekend to get better offensively and try to get out of this rut and take advantage of what is so far a bad-performing LSU defense? Two things that Auburn could see this Saturday that is just medicine for an ailing offense. Number one is regardless of how you get there, through the air or on the ground, LSU gives up up a lot of points. I don't care if you run it 70 times if it takes that to get to 40 points. LSU is giving up points. They're also giving up big, big gains on the ground. That combination bodes well for Auburn. Now, is that going to be enough to win in a shootout, which Auburn's offense has not shown the propensity to win a game in a shootout? So then you start looking at the defensive side of the ball and say, what's the magic number that Auburn would have to try to hold LSU or contain them to to win the football game? For me, I think if LSU gets into the 30s, Auburn's going to have a hard time winning because – that secondary still a question mark, Auburn's. With the injuries, LSU's got a potent passing game. And you want all hands on deck from a health standpoint in your defensive secondary, especially if you're leaving them on an island and not getting a lot of pass rush. So I'm concerned if LSU – now, the more you throw it, 
the more you can turn it over. And Auburn's done a good job with Jalen Simpson and some others creating turnovers. So I feel like Auburn offensively, can, if they can get into the upper 20s, lower 30s, and not shut down LSU's offense, just hold them, respectably contain them, 28, 29 points, 27 points, that Auburn can, can win in a real squeaker. I think if LSU gets into the 34, 35 range, it's going to be hard for Auburn to match that, especially if you're doing it, Jacob, on the ground and not in the air. You may get chunks of yardage, and you may have 400 yards at the end of the day, but on the ground it's taking too long. And LSU can strike quickly, so you may not have the opportunity to get as many possessions as you need to win a shootout. So that's why it scares me a little bit from a defensive standpoint, from a passing game standpoint. Auburn, hopefully in this break, came out schematically and is going to make Daniels uncomfortable, who, by the way, hearing some reports, not officially, just some dudes over there, ears to the ground, we saw Daniels get hurt in that game against Missouri. He's not at 100%. He's a slight dude. He's a lean dude. He's not big. Auburn has got to physically pound him. And I said this Monday morning on Ben's show, I'm not talking about cheap shots. I'm talking about within the whistle, within the sidelines, sideline to sideline, within the white lines, make him uncomfortable. If he keeps it, hit him. If he throws, you got to get to him right when he releases the football, physical, because he's got the kind of build that could wear down quickly throughout a game. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to remind him that he's playing SEC football, right? I think just mm-hmm. if you're at this Auburn defense, they're not afraid to hit people, but they got to get to him a little bit. And I think you are uh, spot on with that. We're talking with Daryl Daprich uh, from uh, Montgomery Radio. And then, of course, he is with on uh, Zach with Locked on Auburn every Friday and in their post game recap shows as well. A couple of comments I have on what you were saying there. Um, when it comes to the LSU offense, Hugh Freeze had interesting comments yesterday because I asked him this question. How do you, how do you game plan and stop Jaden Daniels, who is playing at a Heisman level at almost 2,000 yards and 19 touchdowns? And he said, frankly, I don't think you do stop him. I think you try to hold LSU to field goals, which I think is an interesting aspect. Um, and then when you go up against an offense like this, Daryl, you know this, sometimes the best defense is your offense to keep Jaden Daniels off the field. But I don't know if I have the confidence in Auburn's offense to sustain long enough drives for that to really be a factor. If they run the ball like they did against Georgia and don't abandon it once they get inside the 20 and start getting cute and overthink plays, they can. And again, I'm not a big fan of the whole rotating quarterback thing. No, I'm not either. But this is a prime game. This game screams when you get inside the 20 to use Robbie Ashford. LSU will not have an answer for him. I I guarantee you, if Auburn gets between the 20s and they're running the ball effectively, you you bring Robbie Ashford in. Georgia didn't. That play call that was seamless, once they got inside the 20, when Ashford was in the game, Auburn scored. So Mm -hmm. I think this is a game. I'm not a big float, you know, change quarterbacks in and out, but in this game against LSU, I think when you get inside the 20s, maybe the 15 probably a good time to use him but my goodness I would love to see would love to see them put something in with this off week where you throw off the backside of that you know the again the read option and the RPO sometimes we confuse that and we merge those and act like they're the same thing and they're not 
The read option is what Nick Marshall ran in 2013. It's very run-heavy, either quarterback runs or tailback runs. And your third option, very rarely, is the dump over the middle like they threw to Sammy Coates against Alabama. The mm-hmm. RPO is a true run-pass option where it's 50-50. Thorne is better suited for the RPO. Robbie Ashford better suited for the traditional read option. We'll see what direction Auburn's offense is going. I've heard some things, can't confirm, don't know, that Hugh Freeze is calling some plays for one quarterback and Phil Montgomery is calling some plays for another quarterback. I, I don't know. I think it's very obvious when you see certain situations and Hugh Freeze has got the play sheet and he's got it over his mouth and he's talking into his headset, he's got to be doing something. He's not asking a question. So that's going to be another storyline coming out of this is if you freeze just says, you know what, I think I feel like I have the formula to, to, to score on LSU and to move the ball, I'm going to just take over play calling in this game, and we'll see what happens. Daryl, I posed a question to my listeners today, and this is the final one I want to get to you before we let you go. With all of the – it seems like the offense is the biggest conversation coming out of the bye week for Auburn, and for obvious reasons. And the defense is going to have their hands full this weekend with Jaden Daniels and LSU. There's no doubt about it. But if Auburn goes down here this weekend, and here's the the made-up stat line that I came up with. If Peyton Thorne, as QB1, goes down, let's say he is 9 of 18 or 10 of 20, right? Not, Not many completions, 50%. No touchdowns, a couple of interceptions, and Auburn fails to break 20. Is this the final straw for Peyton Thorne as the starting quarterback? And if so, where would you go? I don't know if it is, and the reason why I say that frustratingly is they've kind of hitched their wagon to him because I feel like they know that there's certain things Robbie does really well, and they feel they still feel confident that there's things that Thorne does really well, and they do feel like even though he is some of the some of the reason for the the sputtering offense from a passing standpoint, they also point to drops, missed assignments, missed routes route running being wrong, missed assignments along the offensive line that's not giving him time. So there's an inherent excuse there that bothers me that they say, okay, yeah, you know, some of this is on Peyton Thorne, but a lot of it's on the drops. Look, there is no doubt, and it's it's come out of the <laughs> coaches' rooms, that, that this staff feels like they have not got what they've needed in the transfer portal receivers that they got and out of the receiving room. They don't feel like that they, they hit on a lot of those guys, okay? And if those guys were making plays, I think they'd feel like it was different. You get a Javarius Johnson back, who's a big weapon, but has been nagging injuries has hurt him. I think it's a different game. This could be one of those situations, though, with LSU's defense being the way it is, especially if LSU realizes they're so poor against stopping the run and that Auburn's going to try to stop the run and put many guys in the box. This could be a game, even though it's in Baton Rouge at night, that Thorne can have some open lanes and some passing opportunities. Answer your question, no. I don't think they'll go away from him because they come right back and play at home against Ole Miss, even if he plays poor. Now, how does that look if, they're, if, if it's his fault and most of those, you know, if, if he goes down there and looks porous and misses open receivers and throws behind guys and holds on to the stinking ball too long and all that, <laughs> then you do, and right. then you probably end up going to Robbie Ashford. But if you do go to Robbie Ashford, you change your offensive philosophy 
for the rest of the year and you become heavy read option mm-hmm. like Auburn did in 2013 and like Auburn did. Remember, they changed it. Cadillac changed it last year against A&M and went run heavy, started using three tight ends, and Auburn ran the ball like gangbusters the last three games, including, what, dropping 300 on Alabama in the Iron Bowl? So you can do that midseason when it's, when it's an offense as simple as the read option. Well, there's going to be a lot of things that play into that, and LSU's poor defensive play is one of them. And can Auburn just figure it out offensively this weekend down in Baton Rouge for a night game against LSU? Daryl Dapperts joins me every Tuesday at 3.30. I always enjoy talking to you, man. You, you tell it like it is, and you've got such unique insight and, and opinions on this stuff, and I just love talking to you, and our listeners love having you on the show as well. Let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find you on different shows, different podcasts, and everything you got going on, man. Sure, man. I appreciate the kind words. I enjoyed as well. Monday morning, 710 WANI with Ben Taylor, you at 3.30 on Tuesday afternoons, Fridays, locked on Auburn with Zach, and then after every football game, Auburn football game, we do a reaction show that drops at 3 a.m. on where you get your podcast, 7 a.m. on YouTube. So it keeps us busy. A lot of people were like, are you guys still going to do a reaction show? We're like, no, Auburn was off. We're still really not much <laughs> to talk about, but we appreciate the love. So, yeah, we'll be right back at it this weekend for another reaction show after the LSU game. And, hey, Daryl, we're less than a month away from basketball season, brother. And that's, and that's where we really double up because after every basketball game, not only do we do a reaction show, we do it live. Oh, yeah. So as soon as the game's over, we jump on. And people are in the live chat asking. We go like for an hour. And there were times last year, I ain't going to lie to you, it was painful having to jump on after three minutes and not be able to decompress with some of the losses that ripped your guts out. But I think people that follow Auburn basketball enjoy that. We get a good turnout. So, yeah, starting November, we'll be doing some double duty. Oh, yeah, looking forward to it, man. We appreciate you and your time. I know you're busy, uh, but we appreciate you hopping on the show. And we'll talk to you next Tuesday, recapping Auburn LSU and previewing Auburn Ole Miss. All right, brother. Have a great week. That's Daryl Dapperich. Appreciate you, man. Always a blast talking to him on the phone here during the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll get to our final break. Come back. Wrap it all up here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Winding down here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, big thanks to Daryl Daprich, a great friend of mine. He just has such unique insights on on Auburn sports, Auburn football, and uh, look, he, he follows along with our show motto. He'll tell you like it is, and he won't hold anything back. He doesn't care what anybody thinks, and he'll tell you what's on his mind. And he had some really interesting uh, comments about the offense for Auburn and just the game plan and the bye week as well and what Auburn has to do this weekend to uh, try to A, stay in the football game versus LSU and then B, try to come out with what would be an upset victory. So thanks to Daryl uh, for joining me as he does every single Tuesday at 3.30. Uh, if you missed any of my conversation with him or any other parts of the show today, we've had tons of great phone calls. Um, we've had great conversations, a lot of uh, a lot of 
really in-depth conversations about this Auburn football team out of the bye week and moving forward uh, in the rest of SEC play on what the future of this current team looks like and what the current and what the outlook, I guess, is going to be after this season and moving forward. So had a lot of that. Talked some Braves baseball as well with the exciting playoff win last night in Atlanta. Uh, So if you missed any of that from the show today, uh, be sure you go and check out the podcast. We post that commercial-free after each and every show. Uh, So be sure you go and check that out. ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. Um, Coming up tomorrow, it is Rivalry Wednesday. So we'll have uh, Jordan Hill from Dogs247. We'll also have Austin Hannon of Bama Central. We'll get to talk to Jordan about the Georgia game uh, and how they demolished Kentucky. And we'll get his thoughts on what Coach Mark Stoops said as well after the loss for the Kentucky Wildcats. Then we'll talk to Austin Hannon of Bama Central get his thoughts on another Alabama win where they found a way to get it done Um, and we'll talk about the Arkansas game coming up for the Crimson Tide this weekend so that's what's coming up on a rivalry Wednesday tomorrow again if you missed any of the show today go catch up with the podcast at ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast until tomorrow, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. I'm Jacob Goins. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.